And flying back as a teen, I just remembered I don't know how to do this, but I know that these people aren't the ones to give me my truth. And I'm either going to find it myself or I'm going to die not knowing. And I wasn't willing to live a life not knowing. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet Michelle. She told me she grew up feeling very different from her adopted family because she looked completely different from them. Michelle reunited with her birth mother as a teenager traveling back to the United Kingdom where she was born. She was seeking some basic answers to her identity and acceptance by her biological mother. Things were going great for them until the neighbor came over and asked who Michelle was. It became a pivotal moment in Michelle's quest to discover herself. But the acceptance and love that Michelle was looking for was still out there and it came from a person that she didn't even know existed. I asked Michelle about her journey and what adoption was like for her growing up. Michelle starts us off with the events that brought her into this world. Her parents weren't able to keep her, so Michelle was placed in foster care. And it was there, even in those early days, where people placed judgment about her existence. Well, I was born um, in England. I, I, I go back to that because it's really part of the whole journey of identity for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in England. Mother was British. Father was Spanish. Um, I was a product of their affair. My mother at the time was married. She had three children. And my father was single, a bachelor. They had an affair. I was the product of that. And it was quite a scandal, actually, at the time. And I was secreted away into foster care. My birth father said he didn't want to be a father, didn't want to raise me. Birth mother um, had a choice to make. You know, she couldn't keep me and she looked to keep her family intact with her husband and her three children. In foster care in the UK, I was labeled because of the circumstances around me. You know, I was labeled in my foster records, illegitimate, dark because I had the coloring of my birth father peculiar looking because I was very much, you know, was identified as an ethnic child. Um, you, you saw and, all of this information in your records? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've, wow. I've seen it in my foster records. And that's fascinating. You know, it's, it's interesting because I don't know, you feel that even if you aren't given it in the, in the beginnings, you know, even if you don't see it in black and white, there's something about the judgment um, that you feel I think even at the youngest of ages, you know, you can feel that negativity surrounding you and you can definitely feel the weight of judgment. You can feel how you're perceived. Um, You can feel, yes, how you're perceived. And Mm. so a lot of that fell on my young shoulders. Michelle was adopted by Americans and brought to this country to be raised. Her appearance made her feel different and she was often reminded of it. But her inability to share more about her heritage made her feel incomplete. But I looked like no one in my family. Mm. You know, I had long um, black hair, big brown almond-shaped eyes, Mediterranean skin. My family was Caucasian, fair skin, 
blue eyes for the most part. And I did. I stuck out and people would ask, well, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And I just remember feeling so different. And I also remember feeling such a oh, uh, such an overwhelming sense of being silenced because I didn't know how to answer the questions because I really didn't know. I knew a certain amount of my history, but I didn't know all of it. And so there were pieces and holes that left me feeling disempowered and certainly far, far away from what would have been a true identity. Uh, my name was changed upon being adopted. My culture, you know, shifted. Uh, my family shifted. Everything changed. Mm -hmm. And in that space is quite a void. Michelle's adopted parents had two biological sons of their own, but her mom really wanted a girl. Her American parents tried to adopt while living in Taiwan, but it wasn't until they lived in the UK that they found their daughter. Unfortunately, as Michelle grew older, her mom used some damaging language about Michelle's adoption that made Michelle feel like she always had to be at her best. To top it off, her distinctive appearance, contrasted against her family members, set her clearly apart from them, a constant reminder of her adoption. So gotcha. there's no doubt that I was wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, very much so by my mother, for sure. And I know by my father, too. But um, I think all of that was just expressed differently. I grew up in a family where my mother would say things to me like, I saved you from that situation. And so I had a sense of needing to, to be always grateful and in some ways always perfect in her eyes, because I was convinced as a child and for a long time in my life that imperfect things get sent back, imperfect people get sent away. So the the quest for perfection to always be seen as perfect, grateful, always striving to make others proud, being a pleaser, those behaviors quickly, I think, came into, uh, into play in my life. Wow. Can, and, you, can you give me an um, example of how that happened? Well, I would never, you know, number one, I was always very hard on myself. I wanted to just be the best because I really felt like if I was the best and whatever that meant to me at that time mm -hmm. would, would equal safety for me and security. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make the best grades. I didn't want to disappoint. I wanted to be the best in school and my ballet company or, mm -hmm. you know, you wanted to be good enough of, to be kept. I wanted to be good enough to be kept. Mm -hmm. And so that became my identity is the girl who is striving every day in every way to be good enough, even though deep down inside, she could not figure out why she felt so unworthy of love, of being adopted, even life. To be quite honest with you, I just felt like, well, sometimes maybe God makes mistakes and I'm just one of those mistakes. Mm. And I'm just going to have to figure out how to live um, with that identity. I was going to ask, with, with regard to your mother's remarks of, I saved you from that situation, did you perceive that as her sort of saying, I'm a great person because I saved you? I've heard some people say that their parents made these offhanded comments accidentally, uh, but some people made these comments very, very intentionally. And I was kind of wondering which one you felt your mother fell into. Well, I think sometimes it would depend on the situation. Um, mm -hmm. I think when she made that particular comment to me, I think she very much knew what she was saying. And I think it was a way of correcting me in some way or shifting me back if, if there was ever 
maybe if she saw me as not um, acting as if she would like me to do, or there was a behavior that she was not um, pleased with, Mm -hmm. she would remind me. Mm -hmm. And I think what that did for me, it, it, it would put a little fear into me Mm -hmm. that, okay, what she's saying is she saved me from something. And in this moment, I am not pleasing her. And so if she saved me from something, then there's the risk that she couldn't send me back to that. I don't think she meant it. I don't think she ever had a clue the overriding impact that would have on me emotionally and mentally. I understand. To live in that kind of world where you feel things are very fragile. Love is fragile. Michelle said her mother's words ultimately made her feel that her love might be conditional, making that love fragile in Michelle's mind. She got the feeling her mother felt she had done something exceptionally altruistic for taking on another child. But her mother also expressed her love for Michelle. I think my mother did feel that she had done something exceptional in adopting me. Uh, You know, people would say that, like, what a good person you are for taking her in um they would people would say to me what a what a lovely thing your parents have done and so i do i do i do remember my mother saying well we're 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 the ones who are really blessed i remember hearing her say that as well mm-hmm. so i'm you know i i never point fingers of judgment mm-hmm. i and i do believe that everyone does you know for the most part the best that they can in the situations but i think it's a there's a level of awareness that i'm trying to help um, with in this conversation yeah. of what it feels like to live in the skin of adoption and how we perceive things versus how others uh, might perceive what they're saying or what they're doing yeah i could see how her comment could have been completely innocent and mm-hmm. um and possibly factual to be honest with you mm-hmm. you know it's entirely possible yeah. that she did save you from a very challenging situation but the choice of words the moment at which it's said and as you've said the backdrop of your own emotions as an adoptee who already feels like you don't look like your family you could see how just without the precise careful selection of certain words at the right time could go awry michelle's adopted parents both passed away just a few years ago in 2016 she says she really healed a lot with them during her journey in her loving family And she knows they would want her to be open and honest in sharing her story for the benefit of other adoptees. Michelle conveyed the challenges she had, feeling validated in her existence when she questioned why her first family gave her up. And her adoptive father seemed to change after her arrival. We healed a lot of things in in my my, uh, journey with them and in that, you know, sweet family. Um, But my father was an alcoholic for all of my growing up until, you know, my 20s. My, my dad was an alcoholic and um, he was not really present emotionally for me. So the other side that I got was, you know, I had um, a birth father who, who stepped away physically, you know, from being in my life in that way. And I had an adoptive father who emotionally um, was not there for me. And his physical presence sometimes was really well, all the time, actually, during that section of my life was really challenging. Um, And, you know, my father would say to me things like, you know, I, we got you as a gift for your mother. And however you turn out is really her responsibility, not mine. And so I think just, you know, there was the constant for me, um, constant reminders or information coming in that, I was something that 
could be sent back, you know, regifted, if you will, or <laughs> however you want to term it. Um, life just seemed um, there, there's, there seemed to be um, the feeling day in and day out that I was walking on eggshells a bit. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. It was hard. I'll bet. And especially as you go into your teenage years when any child is questioning elements of their own identity, you've got the undercurrent of being an adoptee and this feeling of, you know, there's a, there's a return policy on my life. I could go, I could go somewhere else. That's got to be very, very challenging to deal with. Yeah. And also, you know, just feeling that, you know, I had heard stories that before my adoption that my dad was like, like, um, a great dad, you know, my brothers would say he um, played baseball with us and, and then things changed after my adoption. And so I really took in the fact that, or the belief at the time that I just must have, I just must have been bad Mm. because what would make my first parents turn away? And then what would make, um, my, my adoptive father not desire relationship with me, um, and perhaps was I the cause of his drinking? Was I the cause of his misery? Was mm-hmm. I the cause of my parents' discord in the house? Mm-hmm. You know, lots going on there. Michelle decided in her teens that she wanted to search, hoping that a connection to her biological mother could help fill the emptiness she was feeling. Her adoptive mother was supportive of her reaching out and suggested Michelle write a letter. But to who? I was about 15. I, I felt such a void. I just felt such a hole deep within me. And I remember saying to my parents, I really want to reach out to my birth mother. I'm, I'm aching, and I, I want to see if I can reunite with her. And this was in my teens. And my, my mother said, well, why don't you write a letter? I didn't know who to write the letter to, but I wrote a letter to my birth mother's husband who had been in the Royal Air Force and I addressed it to him but I addressed it to an address um, within the RAF and I remember saying in the letter if you if you've opened this letter whoever opens this letter please don't throw it away Mm. because I need an angel right now Wow! it arrived in someone's hands, that person, I'll never know who it was, was an angel, read the letter, um, did a little research and found where my birth mother and her husband were living and forwarded the letter on. And it arrived to my, my birth mother's husband. His name is Jim. And he wrote me back. I got a letter in the mail several days later. And it said, if you are who I think you are, I want you to know that my wife has been hurting ever since the day I made her let you go. Before I talk to her, before I present her with this letter, I need to know, I need verification that you are who you say you are. Do you have your original birth certificate? Which I did. I sent a copy and he wrote me back and he said, I've spoken to my wife, your mother, and she desperately wants to see you. And thus began my... um, my journeys back to England to reunite with my birth mother. And my first reunion, um, I had a lot packed in my head about what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't at all necessarily um, that, but it was a huge lesson for me. 
With that news, Michelle made plans to travel to England to meet her biological mother. She left America with certain ideas about what their reunion would look like, but the reality was very different and taught her some valuable lessons. Fantasy was that I would arrive and she would embrace me and immediately claim me as her daughter and give me my identity back and answer all the questions that I was aching to have answered about her and my father and their time together, all of it. I wanted truth. That's all I asked, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted to feel like I wasn't a secret anymore. I, you know, I just felt like I'm a secret. I'm living a life and there, there are people who are my parents who I, I am kept secret by, you know, I, I want to not live under the veil of secrecy because it's, you know, I felt like it was killing me, you know, and I want to know the truth. And I think every adoptee deserves that, the truth. Michelle remembers very well getting off the plane at London's Heathrow Airport and immediately knowing who her mother was in the crowd. While they look very different from one another, Michelle recognized many of her own physical characteristics and mannerisms in her mother. But in those first moments, she got her first clue that the identity she sought might not be found with this reunion. Still, their visit started off strong as they sought to build a connection to one another. But the final day of Michelle's trip changed everything. Reuniting with my mother, I I can tell you that I remember distinctly meeting her in Heathrow Airport and seeing her in a crowd and just knowing it was her because our 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 coloring is completely different. You know, I'm very wow. Mediterranean. She's got this, you know, sort of peachy, creamy skin and blue eyes and brunette hair. She's lovely. But I, the physicality of our beings was so strikingly similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you walked back. Your, your body the, type, your, the way she moved. Body type. The way she moved, the way she laughed, the way she would throw back her head when she laughed. I mean, it was just me, mm. you know, it was, and it, it was stunning to me just to watch it in real time. Mm. And I remember hugging her, and I remember her calling me um, Julie, which was my birth name, the name that she'd given me after my birth father, Julian. And, and... Then I said, well, my name is Michelle. And she goes, oh, that's right, Michelle. I'm so upset that they would change your name. This was one of the first things she said to me. Mm -hmm. So there's identity, right? Well, who am I? Mm -hmm. The first few days were, you know, pretty magical. And she wanted to draw my baths and she wanted to comb my hair and things. I think we were both trying to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. And I would pretend and fantasize um, in quiet moments what it would have been like for Julie to play in in my mother's garden and to be in that world. And then one one afternoon I was sitting outside. It was actually was you know, a sunny day in England and and warm and my mother was outside and I went to sit with her and a neighbor came from across the street. This was about a day before I was leaving. And the neighbor said to my mother, oh, who who do we have here? And my mother had this look of panic in her eyes and I could sense it. And all of a sudden, the the brightness that I had been experiencing with her, just she and I, I could feel the darkness closing in. Mm. I just felt it. And my mother looked at me and she looked at her neighbor and she looked back at me and then she looked back up to the neighbor and said, well, this is Michelle. She is. And she paused and I was screaming from inside, please tell her that I'm your daughter. And she said, she's a relative from the United States. Oh, no. And I remember just it felt shattered inside. 
And the neighbor walked away and I looked at my mother and I said, why couldn't you have told her the truth in that moment? And she said, I didn't think she needed to know it wasn't any of her business. And I said, but it's not the truth. I'm your daughter. And I went back. I loved that place. And I think what started sort of the journey of understanding for me that no one can give me my identity but me, that that is something that it is a right. It's not a privilege. It's a right to know who you are and to discover that. But I was looking to my birth mother to do that for me. She didn't hold that power. I held the power for that. And flying back as a teen, I just remembered I don't know how to do this, but I know that these people aren't the ones to give me my truth. And I'm either going to find it myself or I'm going to die not knowing. And I wasn't willing to live a life not knowing. It's, it was actually a gift. You know how sometimes the hardest, toughest, most painful moments are gifts? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time. But there was something, there was a seed that was planted inside of me in that moment when my mother denied you know, my identity, my true identity to the neighbor that this is something that I have to give myself. Mm-hmm. If I am looking for others to do it, I will forever feel like a victim. And I don't want to be a victim. And I remember I became very quiet. And very withdrawn. Mm -hmm. I felt so hurt. And I didn't feel like I could express that to her. I just thought, I can't talk to her about this because she's not going to understand what she just did. And I know she didn't mean it. I mean, she was, she was saving herself in that moment, you know, and I, and I have to have to, you know, looking back at it, I didn't see it now, but looking back at it, she was innocent in that moment. She, she was trying to to protect herself, to protect her image, her reputation, whatever was going on in her own mind. It had nothing to do with me. Mm. But at the moment, it felt like it had everything to do with me. During Michelle's visit, her biological mother was still married to her husband, the victim of the extramarital affair. He took her out for dinner so they could chat one-on-one. She said it was awkward, but it began the healing between them and launched them on a journey to forgiveness. I know it was difficult for Jim, but... One night, he took me out to dinner, just he and I, and um, we went to a pub, and a local pub, and we were eating, and it was, I felt, it was a little awkward, you know, looking at the man who was, you know, probably the key reason that I was, you know, put into foster care. Right. Um, But he looked at me, and he said, "I, I need you to know something. The moment that I literally took you from your mother's arms, the moment I put you into the arms of the foster mother, that moment is the moment where I lost my soul and I haven't gotten it back since. Wow. And um, I looked at him and I felt I felt a great deal of compassion for this man who in that moment knew nothing you know, else to do. But what he did, he did say to me, you know, if I had only known then what I know now, I would never have made that decision. And things happen for reasons. And I tell tell him, and I still do, you know, how much I forgive him and I love him and that I understand that that was uh, a very difficult chapter in all of our lives, Um, but that I'm healthy and whole because I've chosen to be healthy and whole. Mm -hmm. And so he need not... um, feel separated from his soul or his spirit. And I have also said to him that it's not my responsibility to give him his soul back. All he has to know that he is forgiven. That's, wow, that's amazing. Forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom. It may seem like the most difficult mountain to climb, 
And in that forgiving, I even forgive myself for the self-criticism, for the self-abuse, you know, just the many ways I told myself for so long that I wasn't good enough or that something must be wrong with me. Or I had to also to forgive myself and set it all free. Just mm. let it go and free yourself. And I would say that to every adoptee, you know, forgive, forgive, forgive all, because in that forgiving, in that act of forgiveness, you will ultimately find your freedom and your identity. You cannot find your identity in chains. That's free very yourself. well said. Michelle told me that after the trip, she returned home and didn't really tell her family about the incident or how it made her feel. At 15 years old, she quickly returned to what she called people-pleasing mode. Fast forward to Michelle in her 30s, she had two sons, one biological to herself, another one who was adopted from Russia, and she was in the process of adopting her daughter from Ethiopia. Her family was growing, but still, but she still had another branch on her biological family tree to explore. Something was stirring deep within her that her biological father was sick and she needed to try to find him. She contacted a friend of hers who was a private detective. Michelle was able to locate one of her biological father's friends who had lost touch with him and also wanted to help Michelle's search. He calls me and he says, I've, I've just found out that Julian just recently, not long ago, passed away. And I said, well, that's not possible because my friend, who is a private detective, just sent me a photo of his home. And he goes, I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry, but he's passed. And literally within two minutes I, I get another phone call from my friend, and she said, Michelle, your father is not alive. He's not living. And I I just felt so many things in that moment, almost like, well, that's a, that's a kind of abandonment that's too final, because I've not had the chance to stand face-to-face -face with him. And I had anger. I, I was realizing that I had some anger mm. at, my, at my birth father. Mm -hmm. And why why couldn't he have reached out over the years? You know, why and how could he just leave me in this way? Then I get another phone call from my friend, and she said, listen, you have a brother. And I go, well, I don't have a brother. She goes, you have a brother, and you need to call him, because I called him, and I told him that he has a sister, and he wants to talk to you. Wow. And he's your father's son, and he didn't know he had a sister. And so I said, okay, okay I'll call him, but, you know, it's midnight there. I'll wait till tomorrow. And she said, he's just learned he has a sister. Do you think he's going to sleep tonight? <laughs> I said, well, maybe you've got a point. So I called, I called him and he answers the phone. And he, I said, is this Andre? And he said, yes. And I said, this is Michelle, your sister. And he said, I know. And we started crying. Oh, my gosh. And we met, we reunited, Andre and I, in Spain. And during our conversations, he you know, told me that about a month before my father died, that he said, I have a daughter out there somewhere. Really? And, yeah. And he said, I thought he was, you know, he was sick. And I thought he was speaking out of his head at the moment. And I just said, yes, dad, you've got a daughter. He said, I know now that he was trying to share his truth with me, the truth that he kept secret for all of his life that he had a daughter. And mm. that truth was such a beautiful gift. I said to Andre, you'll never know what you gave me because the only words I know that my, I was told my father spoke of me was, I don't want to know when the child is born. And so for you to tell me that he said, I have a daughter out there somewhere tells me that he did want to know when I was born. And in fact, he had found out that he had a daughter. Mm -hmm. That's right. And what, and what that speaks to me is that he loved me. 
And what that also says to me, suggests to me, is that he thought about me over the course of his life, mm-hmm. probably more times than I can count. And I was important to him enough to speak the truth four weeks before he passed away. That's right. And that's, it was a beautiful gift. It, it's an amazing story. A, it really oh, is. Gosh, that's, that is so powerful. That must have filled your heart. I mean, this man has basically sent you off. Another man has taken you from the arms of the woman who gave birth to you and passed you on to yet another man who is not accepting of your presence. And then it all comes back full circle when you've learned that he has breathed the words of your existence to his son. That's a, that's a deep, deep bond, you know, parents to children. And for him to say something to his child before he passed away is incredibly powerful. Wow. It is an, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful gift and I, I tell you I think there was a lot of healing done for me in that moment I'll because bet. all I ever wanted honestly was just to feel claimed and the words that my birth mother couldn't speak this is my daughter to the neighbor my birth father spoke to his son I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. And it it was such a powerful powerful moment and I, I felt loved you yeah. know I felt loved by him in that moment. Wow. That's incredible. Her brother also assured Michelle that their father was a good man, that he couldn't imagine why he would turn away from her before she was born. Michelle has gotten a lot of healing from her relationship with her brother Andre, especially hearing about their father's pensive demeanor in his final days. You know, there at the end, he had gone to live with my brother Andre for the last uh, little bit of his life. And, And he said, you know, Michelle, there were times when I would look at my father and his eyes would be gazing out, and I could tell that there was there was something so heavy on his mind and on his heart. He said, I don't know if, you know, I didn't know if he was just reflecting on his life or, or what have you. He said, but now I know, after what he said to me and after finding you, I know that in those moments, he was thinking of you. It's been a journey, too, of long walks with Andre, arm in arm, where I I just remind him that... I love our father, I forgive our father, and that I truly believe that Julian was um, was really a big part of our finding each other. I think that he arranged that somehow. I wow. really do. That's really incredible. Yeah. I was curious to know more about Michelle's family today. Thinking about her identity issues when she was young, I asked her how she has prepared herself for the conversations her kids are going to want to have about their own introspection and search for identity. Michelle considers it a blessing that she's adopted too, recognizing that her own life experiences help her to be sensitive in special ways to pick up on signals from her children. Her son raises adoption issues less frequently than her daughter, but he's proud of his Russian heritage. They visited his homeland before, but he says he's super happy right where he is. He said, but I would like to go back to Russia and help kids in orphanages. And I always say to him, you know, I want you to know that we will continue to go back to Russia We will work and I will help you to assist in orphanages. We will do everything that we can to keep you connected to your culture and that the door is always open to talk about your birth parents. Her daughter talks about her own adoption more often than her brother, and she explores it in healthy ways. She sometimes looks to her mother for answers that Michelle doesn't have, but Michelle reassures her that she'll help her in any way possible to obtain whatever information they can when the time comes, and that she loves her no matter what. Yes, my daughter is hugely aware that she looks different from me, 
She talks about her birth mother. We talk about her birth mother. Sometimes she um, role plays in her bedroom and will talk to her birth mother. That's beautiful for, for me. I want her to know that that's okay. And so there are times when I will come in and I will say, who are you speaking with? And she'll have a different name for her birth mother because we don't know her name. Oh. And I will say, um, well, please tell her hello, that I hope she's doing well. And that I love her very much. And uh, she'll say, okay. There's a beautiful Ethiopian community where I live. Um, Eviana has friends in her school who are also adopted from Ethiopia. So that's a beautiful connection. She's very proud to say I'm adopted. I say to her, I don't have a lot of answers for you. But if there's ever a moment where you want to find out, and that's going to be your decision, I will, I will unturn every stone to get you the answers that, that you're desiring, you know, if I can help. Um, but I also remind my children that who they are is, it's it's not determined by anyone else, you know, that they have been, and, and this is my belief, divinely created mm-hmm. for a mighty purpose. And sometimes, you know, God uses our greatest pain for our greatest calling. Know that you're loved. Know that you're loved. Michelle says she tries to go back to England every few years or so. The last time she visited her mother, she had something important to share with Michelle. The last time I was there, um, took me into her room and she gave me the original document that was the, um, with her signature to relinquish her parental rights. I had a copy of it, but, you know, she wanted me to have the original and she broke down and she said, I just need you to know that. I never wanted to do this. And she wept in my arms, you know, and I said, please know that I forgive you and please know that I love you. You know, and I said, the greatest gift I've been able to give myself is to allow Julie to live again. Um, My identity, I'm Michelle, but I don't, I don't silence Julie anymore. You know, I said to her, one of the greatest things I've ever done is to let her be free too. And in that place is when I step into my true identity where I can talk about my story scars, flaws, and all, where I can forgive it. Absolutely. Well, you sound like you have reached the place of feeling true self-worth, your own self-identity, and just having forgiven everybody along your journey, both within this particular story of your adoption. But it sounds like you're a person who takes this same measure of thoughtfulness toward everything in your life. So thank you for all that you do for your own children, but as well for others and for sharing your story here. I, I really appreciate your time, Michelle. Hey, it's Damon. Michelle seems to have the mental strength, sense of self-worth, and capacity for forgiveness that so many of us need more of. Michelle has recovered from feeling disempowered and questioning her own worth to being a person who can proudly share her story and express love and forgiveness for everyone that has been a part of it. She expressed some real pain about the pattern of rejection from the father figures throughout her life. But after learning of her father's passing, she was unexpectedly able to bond with her brother and therefore with her father too. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Michelle's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting with your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at WAI Really.
we have incredible fantasies and believe me i have created incredible fantasies for myself when i was a kid <laughs> i just i wanted truth mm -hmm. i should inter interject i think those fantasies are healthy and i think they're needed um i agree at some yeah, I, I really do, especially as children. It's 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 important to have that fantasy play about your birth family and your birth parents and your birth life and your birth identity. Right. Um, and fantasy arrived, is such fantasy is such a, a healthy part of childhood anyway. You know, yeah. a child will pick up a toy and imagine a whole world around it. Why wouldn't they mm -hmm. similarly and equally as healthily pick up their own life and imagine what it might have been like had it been different? Uh, you know, oh, if they so had not been adopted. Said. So. That's so beautifully said. Thank I you. think just that's just so that's fear, you know, that they fear um, what that the response they might get if they did that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I really do.